This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Timothy. Moderation, moderation, drunkenness is the sin, but this is not a violation of 1 Timothy 3, th- uh, 3, where he talks about, you know, elders abstaining. There, there was a medicinal issue. T- Timothy had some, some thing going on there. In verse 24, the sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. In other words, God will expose everything eventually. Just be discerning and be careful. Everything eventually will come to light. Today, you learn from Pastor Gary's message to be discerning and cautious about how you live. God doesn't see as man does. Man looks to the outside and the appearances of others. However, God sees straight to the heart. Pastor Gary encourages you to keep living your life for the Lord. Do what honors Him and let your work be done unto Him. Keep seeking His will and direction within your life. Listen to His voice and follow where He leads you to go. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. And he adds there in verse 16, if any woman who was a believer has widows in her family, just kind of restates this, she should help them and not let the church, here's the word, be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Now, obviously, widows are not the only people who are in need. There are plenty of people in desperate and difficult situations who are in need, and and the church should come along and help them as well. For whatever reason, there seems to have been a large number of widows in Timothy's church there in Ephesus, such that Paul felt like, I need to really address this particular group of older widows and younger widows. But, you know, James 1.27 says, pure religion that God the Father finds as faultless is this, to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. And there are a lot of people in distress, and there are a lot of ways that the church can show itself helpful and caring by ministering to people who are legitimately in need. Now he goes on here in verse uh, 17 through 20 to talk about elders. Not that they need care like a widow, but how they are to be treated and some of the ways that, that they are to be considered and taken care of in the life of the church. So verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. This is a a little, I'll admit, a little bit uncomfortable for me to have to teach through this passage because as an elder, I'm talking now about elders and how we're supposed to be treated the the good way and the bad way uh, based on an elder's conduct, not that they are 
mistreated, but based on the elders' conduct, they, they might get themselves into trouble and they need to be treated uh, in, in the proper way in God's house. So basically, there are four things that he, I'm bullet pointing, that he says here between verses 17 and 20. He's going to talk about the distinction of an elder, the remuneration of an elder, the protection of an elder against false accusations, and the correction of an elder who sins. So first in verse 17, I mentioned this when we were in chapter 3, because in chapter 3 he talks about the qualifications for an elder, but he distinguishes between two types of elders in this verse when he says that the elder who directs the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those, and then here's another distinction, those whose work is preaching and teaching. And as I mentioned when we were in chapter 3, there seems to be here by Paul this indication that some elders were more focused on directing the affairs of the church as in being administrative, and some elders were more gifted in the areas of preaching and teaching as in the spiritual aspects of being an elder. I've also made the statement that every pastor is an elder, because every pastor has to qualify according to the qualifications of an elder, but not every elder is a pastor in the sense that there are some administrative elders who do not feel called into ministry, ministry of the gospel. And there are some who are. The, the some who are called to the ministry of the gospel are pastors. Those who are, are not called into the ministry of the gospel may still be elders, but they're primarily responsible for the administrative oversight of the church. So for example, here at Cornerstone, we have two groups of elders that do slightly overlap. I have a group of elders who are the majority of which are not on staff, they are not paid, they are men of our church who qualify according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and whose main responsibility is the fiduciary oversight of our church. They examine the books, they examine the, 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 the giving, the financial stewardship. They are responsible also for holding my life accountable. Somebody needs to, and so the, this group of men are a part of that, and not just in a bad sense, but in a good sense of encouraging me, praying for me and my family. And they also were very instrumental in getting into this building because they had to give all the oversight and approval for everything related to the expansion and the building, the development of this property. Then there are a group of elders at our church who are our pastoral team. Those are the, the, the spiritual elders, not that the first group are unspiritual, but the second group, pastors, in the sense of their responsibility is the gospel and, and ministering to people and uh, caring for them as shepherds under the chief shepherd, which is Jesus. So he distinguishes here between those elders who direct the affairs of the church and those elders whose primary gift are the spiritual matters of preaching and teaching. Now, in the middle of this, he talks about worthy of double honor. The Greek word for honor here is temei, and it can either be translated honor as in the sense of virtue, and it can also be translated in a monetary way as in honorarium. That's how this word is being used here, and how do we know that it's being used in terms of honorarium like remuneration or financially? Because of the way he follows it up in verse 18 when he says, for the scriptures say, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. So he defines double honor when he quotes from Deuteronomy, talking about an ox, don't muzzle the ox, 
And the idea behind it, he's quoting from, I think, the book of Leviticus, it's the idea that when an ox was treading out the grain, don't muzzle the ox, let it be able to eat some of the fruit of its labor as it's working. It should be able to, uh, in a sense, be compensated for its hard work. And then Paul quotes out of Luke's gospel, chapter 10, verse 7, when he talks about the worker's worth his wages, he's quoting Luke, but Luke was recording what Jesus said, which is interesting just on a side note, on a theological doctrinal note here, where Paul says, as the scriptures say, and then he quotes out of, sorry, it wasn't Leviticus, it's Deuteronomy about the ox. Deuteronomy 25.4, and then he quotes out of Luke 10.7, a worker deserves his wages. In other words, he is ascribing scriptural definition to the gospel of Luke. He's saying Luke was writing scripture when he was quoting Jesus there in Luke 10.7. But all that to say that he's speaking here about compensation and remuneration. And he's saying here that the elders who direct the affairs of the church, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching, they're worthy of double honor. Now, Literally, it means worth double honorarium, but he's speaking here metaphorically and respectfully, not literally. And here's how we know, because in chapter three, one of the qualifications for an elder is not to be greedy for money. So he's not saying pay your pastors double money, what everybody else makes in their community. He's just saying in the sense of everybody who earns an income is being paid based on their hard work. And what he's saying is, in respect for the gospel, if there's something that is the most important work that anybody could do, present company excluded, sorry, but is is in preaching the gospel. Like there's no other greater thing that a person can do, and I respect all that everybody does here in the room, but he's saying is one who preaches the gospel. But he's not saying literally go ahead and pay him double. He's just saying that that is, it's worthy of double honor because of the importance of preaching the gospel. This honestly is where when taken literally, it has, it has caused a black eye on the church. Because when you get into these you know, certain televangelists, and you can Google it, you know, I I don't even know what to believe anymore about who lives in what kind of house and drives what kind of car and flies what kind of, you know, uh, private jets anymore. But when, when the outside world sees pastors and ministry leaders and TV evangelists living above what other people generally live by, especially in their own community, it, it brings a black eye in the church. When people are seen living high on the hog, as pastors, as, as ministry leaders, as evangelists, and, and, you know, and, and abusing their, their privilege of preaching the gospel, and now it becomes this money-making venture of just living in lavish lifestyles. It, it's a violation of Scripture, and it does a disservice to the gospel. And, and people w- look at that kind of thing, and it, it's a major turnoff. And so, in general, I know our elders here have been careful that we, we want to take care of our pastors, but we also don't want anybody living larger than th- their own community. And so, it, we have to be careful about that kind of thing. So, again, this is a little, it's a little uncomfortable to talk about this kind of stuff, but it needs to be said because this is important, and this is how, this is how some churches get off course. They're like, well, we're just going to you know, throw lavish, expensive 
you know, salaries and bonuses and gifts and all this kind of stuff. And, and people have to be super careful about this kind of thing. Now, he adds in verse 19, he's going to shift from remuneration to the protection of an elder against false accusations. Because he says in verse 19, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or more witnesses. Reputation is a valuable commodity. And it takes a lifetime to gain one, and it takes five minutes to lose one. And we all know the importance, every single one of us, I don't care if you're an elder or not, every single one of us understands the value of of a good reputation. And the tragedy of when a good reputation is tarnished because of false accusations. Um, I think many of us will remember in 2006, the court case against three Duke University men's lacrosse players. It turns out that the woman who accused them of raping her lied about the whole thing. And the district attorney, who later found out she was lying, still tried to prosecute these three guys. And it ended up a year later in a court case where these guys, the attorney general of North Carolina, on an, in an unprecedented decision, when, when, the, when the true facts came to light not only dismissed the case, but in an unprecedented move, declared those three uh, lacrosse players innocent, innocent of the charges, and also disbarred the lead district attorney. And in 2011, those lacrosse players, those guys sued the district attorney, Mike Nifong, and the lead investigator, and won in court, and the judge ended up in his statement calling it malicious, a malicious conspiracy. All right, now, it was all settled, and it was all discovered, and the the woman admitted, and she had lied about the whole thing, but in the process, three guys' reputations were completely tarnished. And, and it's, it's hard to get that kind of thing back. So Paul is saying here, listen, and this is good for anybody, but he's talking about in, in protecting leadership in the church, don't entertain an accusation unless it's brought by two or more. And even then you need to investigate because two people can get together and make up lies. So you got to be careful that people are legitimate and they're coming forward with legitimate claims. Years ago, I was involved in a situation where a woman came to me and told me, this, is, this was at another church, had nothing to do with here, told me how a pastor at another church had made inappropriate sexual advances towards her. And I sympathized, but I couldn't do anything about it, because it's one. Within the same month, I had another lady seek me out about the same pastor, about the same accusations. And those two ladies didn't even know each other. Now I knew I had a situation to deal with. Before I could even go to the senior pastor, a third woman came forward. So now I got two or more, and I got a situation where there's an elder being accused of, of sexual advances and flirtatious behavior. So I said to these ladies, if I'm going to go forward, you're going to have to be able to allow me to use your names. I can't, I, I will never say anonymous sources have said. And two out of the three said, yeah, you can use my name. So I went to the senior pastor, and I said, I've got three, ac- three accusers, but only two are giving their names of charges against one of the pastors on your staff, and you need to do something about it. 
The pastor being accused said, they're just misreading me. I, I'm not being flirtatious, I, and they, they're just misreading me, and it isn't true. And therefore, the senior pastor decided to do nothing about it. And I had to go and tell the ladies that. But my, I had done all I could do. They had done all they could do. And now it was up to the Lord. The sad tragedy of the story is that because nothing was done, the man ended up in moral sin, ended up, his wife left him, ended up losing his ministry, and the whole thing was tragic. And it may have possibly been prevented had it been dealt with when you have two or more witnesses coming forward before it actually became sexual sin. It could have been dealt with earlier. This is the reason why Paul says, listen, you got to come two or more, but you can't have these false accusations and you, you're going to have to investigate this. You have to be really careful because you're dealing with somebody's reputation and you got to take that very, very seriously. And you can't walk into an area where somebody's reputation could be ruined if these things aren't true. So you better be very, very careful about this kind of thing. But if you do it biblically, maybe, maybe, just maybe it could have prevented some more grievous sin issues. Now, when an elder sins, he adds in verse 20, those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. This is where it gets a little controversial or gets a little, um, people can disagree about, about the way to interpret this. I know some churches who interpret that verse to mean that if there is some kind of sin issue among an elder in the church, you're to get that elder up in front of the whole congregation or in the absence of that person, just publicly tell the whole congregation what they've done. And I would say that that might be appropriate depending on the situation. But when you read this verse and it says, those who sin are to be rebuked publicly, King James says, before all, you have to ask, okay, who is all? And then it says, so that the others may take warning. And you have to ask, who are the others? And it is my conviction that he's speaking narrowly there about the other elders. So that if an elder falls, you need to tell the other elders what went down so that the other elders will be warned. Now, having said that, though, there may be some situations where it might be necessary that the whole congregation may need to know if, in fact, what the elder did affected the whole congregation in some, in some way. So I, I try to go by this motto, that how public it gets in terms of the explanation depends on how public the offense was. There are some offenses that are more public and more visible. In fact, he's going to go on to say that, uh, verse 24, jump ahead to verse 24, the sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. So by and large, and unfortunately I've had to handle situations like this, even on our own staff over the years, if it is something that impacts the greater congregation, I need to say something. Even though I may need to say something to the greater congregation, I still don't believe it's necessary to air all the dirty laundry. Because I believe it's important for somebody, as far as it depends on us, to help restore an individual who has fallen. It doesn't necessarily mean they will be restored to ministry at that same church. But to help them in some way in the process and taking steps to be restored eventually. And so in order to respect that restoration process, 
I don't think it's always necessary to spill out all the details. That can, that can become humiliating and, and it can become very, very embarrassing. And it can just simply be something sufficient to say so-and-so has disqualified them as an elder or a pastor according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and that everybody needs to know that. There are other cases, however, where it is something that I think is just need, need to know basis among the staff or among the elder body. And by the way, it doesn't always have to be people get s- certain sins in their head that they think are the real big ones that are worthy of dismissal or worthy of this kind of correction. Uh, and, and unfortunately, we, we categorize sins as being really large and really little. And the reality is any ongoing unrepentant sin is sometimes cause for correction and dismissal. It doesn't necessarily have to be the sexual sin, the big things we often think of. It can just be an ongoing pattern of lying. It could be an on, ongoing pattern of divisiveness. It could be an ongoing pattern of disunity, an ongoing pattern of anger. It could be a, a whole host of things that, that if dealt with properly and talked to and constantly addressed and they still are, are unrepentant, then they need to be corrected and they sometimes even need to go. Because the church is the bride of Christ, and the bride has to be protected. And and that's why, even in these situations which are difficult to do these kind of things, that's why he says in the next verse, verse 21, let's see if we can finish out this chapter. I've already gone over time, but let's see if we can finish this. He says, I charge you, verse 21, on the side of God and in Christ Jesus and the elect angels. That's a pretty important charge, all right? In the sight of God and the elect angels and Jesus to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Sometimes, you know, you're dealing with with a brother in the Lord as an elder and you know, okay, there's two or more that's come forward. They have to be corrected. They have to be disciplined. They have to be dismissed, whatever the case might be. And you have to do it without showing partiality. As much as you love somebody, you treat them with grace, you do it in the right way, you do it with dignity, but you still have to do it. And sometimes you have to do the hard thing. And it's painful and people can, can, you know, have questions about it and people can, you know, raise issues about it. And why did this happen? Why did that happen? And, but it says you, you're going to have to do it and you have to do it without partiality. You have to do nothing out of favoritism. Verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Don't ordain elders quickly and do not share the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Okay, so he, Paul turns and he says, all right, now, Timothy, don't just consider what you have to do in regards to other elders, you need to look at your own life as an elder too. Make sure that you're not contributing and sharing in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. He adds in verse 23, this is a verse that some of you have highlighted in your Bible. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. All right, so if you have a medical condition, go ahead, bottoms up. But otherwise... Moderation, moderation, drunkenness is the sin, but this is not a violation of First Timothy 3, th- uh, 3, where he talks about, you know, elders abstaining. There, there was a medicinal issue. T- Timothy had some, some thing going on there. And verse 24, the sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. In other words, God will expose everything eventually. Just be discerning and be careful. It's a heavy chapter, but it needs to be read and understood and lived out. Amen. Hope is enough. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary. While this New Testament letter of 1 Timothy talks a lot about leadership in the church, the principles you find within apply to everyone. Each of us has a place where we can lead, whether in your job, in your home, or interactions with a younger generation. Are you displaying God's love to those looking up to you? It's not just what you say, it's how you live your life every day. And if you need some advice on how to do that, we encourage you to keep reading in 1 Timothy. If you missed any part of today's message or would like to explore other books of the Bible with Pastor Gary, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc today. You'll be able to listen online or you can download our mobile app to take these teachings on the go. And if you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to have you join us for worship this weekend. Just click on the Cornerstone Chapel logo at the top of the page at cornerstoneconnection.cc to get service times, directions, and all the information you need. One more time, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all we have time for today. Join Pastor Gary next time for more from 1 Timothy right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know